Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the now released but formerly virtual board game to my smart Kickstarter decisions, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Wow, that was like, that was a twister, man. Hello, hello. Uh, I, I went back and looked at the script from uh, from 88 and what we set up front, and then I just, you know, oh, God, added it's to it. been that many episodes since? It ha- yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. All yeah. right. Well, there you go. Good times. Yeah. Well, as always, thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on and the servers humming and all of our wonderful times coming to you straight into your ear holes. I don't know where I'm going with that, Robert. It's a weird day. Ear holes? Your ear holes. Well, Jonathan, happy National Clean Up Your Room Day. <laughs> At least it wasn't <laughs> National Ear Hole Day. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> on May 10th, children often dread this parent-appreciated day Though some years observance arise with perfect timing for Mother's Day. However, the observance doesn't only target kids. It's also about picking up, straightening up, and cleaning up the whole house. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when you post about how uh, you're doing, use that hashtag. Hashtag clean up your room day. I, uh, my room is clean. My room is clean. Got clean today, in fact. Mine is not. <gasps> Mine is not, yeah. Why don't you like the national holidays, Robert? Well, we're recording this before the national holiday, so I might use that as an excuse to change the tune. Okay, that's good. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. All right, well, let's kick it off with our first segment. That is, of course, our off-the-shelf segment, the segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, under our gaming tables and gaming devices, and most importantly, into our hearts. Robert, where do you want to get started today? Uh, I don't know. I, I chose last time. Did you? Yeah, not it. Uh, let's start with reading. Okie dokie. I'm in the middle of two books, and I know that you are in the middle of one of the same books because we are both reading it together and regularly texting each other about the craziness of, of our government's uh, past. And uh, I, I sent the title of the book to Brendan to, to try to get him in, in on it because he, yes. like, he thought we'd have it done. I'm like, I'm still 110 pages into it. I haven't read anything. I, I'm, I'm not terribly far ahead of you, um, but uh, I think we're roughly in the same spot. But yeah, yeah, at this rate, probably at least one more episode, maybe two, at the rate I'm going. I should be able to get it done by next episode. Yeah, I, I've, been, I've been sick, so I, I, usually, I, yeah, I usually read while I'm, uh, while I'm working out, and uh, when I get sick, I don't work out. So, man, man. This like past year, I I didn't get sick for two friggin' years, man. It was amazing. I didn't realize how good I have it, and now it seems like I'm getting like something, not Rona, but like something every other month, and it's like a cold, and it's always a bad enough cold that I have to go get a Q-tip shoved up my nose just to make sure, and then inevitably the next day I feel better, and I'm like I shouldn't have gotten the Q-tip shoved up my nose, and that feeling never gets better if you know it's coming. No, it's never no, it really fine. Doesn't. No, I had to give. Sophia a COVID test today because she started getting the sniffles and we wanted to make sure she didn't have anything that, you know, before sending her back to school. 
And yeah, that's just, it's so uncomfortable, man. I feel so guilty giving that test to the kids too, because it just looks so, so terrible. And I know I've had it, so I know how terrible it is. It's just not fun. I, I haven't, I still haven't got the runny yet, but you know, eh, knock on wood on that one. Oh man, keep, keep rolling that train because I got it and it was not fun. I don't know, man. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I, I just haven't had a chance to read. Uh, I'm actually, assuming we get done with this at a reasonable time, I'm actually going to go work out today. And so I'll read, which will be fun. So there's that. So we're not going to talk about it yet, right? Because we're going to... No, 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 no. This is, of course, the book that we, we talked about. It's from the same author as the Area 51 book that we both read. And this is all about Project MK Ultra, or as I now will always refer to it. It's not. Uh, it's not entirely. It's. It's. There's a lot of MK Ultra adjacent stuff too, because there's well, different yeah, agencies. No, but what I'm saying stuff. is that's that's the core that brings the whole thing together. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's really weird reading it because, like, um, I my childhood was kind of growing up in the wake of all that. You know, where like a lot of you know, we've talked about what was it about life or whatever that made science fiction at the time just think that oh yeah psychics are perfectly natural phenomenon that's the future of mankind and it's like yeah it was all this stuff in the 60s <laughs> and the 50s yep but 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 we were talking about this last night uh while we we're doing our role-playing game uh it's fun finding out that the cards from ghostbusters actually have a name they're the wills <laughs> cards <laughs> and there's a lot of things in ghostbusters that get referenced that are direct references to the work done by a lot of very, very strange people in the U.S. government from this period of time, which is fascinating. It's fun to uh, it's fun to realize that uh, Dan Aykroyd really, you know, I mean, he 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 doesn't just, you know, like I'm into the I'm into the supernatural stuff. Totes. He's, he's like, he's yes, yes, he is. He he knows. And he, and he knows it well enough. He can write good comedy out of it, which is amazing. If if this whole experience gave the world anything, it's, you know, Ghostbusters. And maybe that's not such a bad thing. Maybe maybe that's the flip side of the coin because so far everything that I've read has been absolutely stunningly stunningly devoid of any form of ethical consideration for for the human beings involved. We're getting into it. Should we wait? Should we wait? So so this is something that's become to mind. This circles into my my other book. So we'll uh, we'll go there. One thing that's impressed me about the book or or something I've taken from it is I do have a feeling that human beings are very, very arrogant about what we think we know. And there's just this general, I don't know what you'd call it. Yeah. Just arrogance about, about stuff. So like the thought that people are like, Oh, we don't maybe psychic stuff. Like I, I get that train of thought because there's there people just act like that. They, people are like, Oh no, we can't prove that. Or we've never proved that. So it doesn't exist. And it's like, yeah, but there's a lot of science where, you know, it was impossible until somebody usually just, trying to do something else, just screwed up and, and did the thing. So, you know, who knows? But what it was making me think about was it was going back to that Dracula in Istanbul or Dracula, Dracula invades England book I was reading where they were, there's this part where they're talking about the general consensus among Dracula scholarship is Bram Stoker learned about the name Dracula from this one guy. And people have posited that his brother was in Turkey fighting in the, the Russian Turkish war and it's like, maybe he heard about Dracula there. And everybody's like, no, Dracula is this 400-year-old person. Like, why would anybody talk about him there? So going to my next book, Dracula in Istanbul, right? So this is somebody took Dracula and basically made it take place in Istanbul and didn't really change much else. And uh, it was a little disappointing because I thought it was going to go off the rails, but it didn't go off the rails. It it it, it just kind of, it, it did kind of the highlight reel of Dracula, but just reset it in Istanbul. 
which is fine. It was a fun read. But one of the things, there's two really fun things they add in. One of them, they, the the people from Istanbul totally talk like they totally know who Vlad the Impaler is at all times. Like he is this like, like boogeyman almost like this, like just this hated historical figure. And the book was written in the 50s. But, you know, you can't just say it was Bram Stoker, like bringing the light of Dracula to Istanbul, because I'm sure that's not the case, because this was the first Turkish you know, translation of Dracula. So that doesn't make any sense, but no, no, it's like, yes, you know, people, you know, you Dracula scholars, it's like, Oh, Bram Stoker must've totally researched this on his own. Nobody gave him the idea because he's such an awesome man. And it's like, no, his brother probably heard about it. Cause he had Turkish friends in the Turkish war and they talked about stories and like, yeah, they, you know, Dracula is like a boogeyman or, you know, Vlad the Impaler is like a boogeyman and, and just this hated figure in history. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know. And so circling back, like that, and that's why it's really easy for me to believe that, you know, the idea that we think we know everything just because, and a lot of those just becauses are based off of nonsense, like just belief and not any facts whatsoever. You know what I mean? Oh, all too well. All you, you pick, too you well. You picking up what I'm putting down? So, oh, so well. Anyway, anyway. So, but that was fun. Also, the other thing that Dracula in Istanbul added in was um, the story it, itself uh, gets pushed forward to like the 1920s or 30s, uh, basically like two, three years after the Turkish War of Independence. And so there are these sections that get into like pure Turkish propaganda about how badass Turkish people are. And it's kind of amazing to read because like it's, it's, for the most part, it's just it's a pretty faithful adaptation where they just like replace names of places and people with Turkish names of places and people. But then all of a sudden, like, you know, that part in Dracula where uh, Van Helsing basically sits everybody down and tell, talks about Dracula's powers and whatnot. Yeah. 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 So he goes off on this crazy tangent where he tells a story about Dracula um, or about Vlad, Vlad the Impaler, like these Turkish uh, uh, ambassadors come and he tells them like take off their turbans and they refuse. So he like nails the turbans onto their heads and kills them. And he talks about, you know, he just starts going off about how these were like the perfect specimens of Turkish pride and, and just, just going off on these people. And like um, the, the Dr. Seward and Arthur Holmwood and Quincy, like they stand up with nationalistic pride as Van Helsing's telling the story. You know, obviously they all have Turkish names, but yeah, it's, it's their character. And it's, it's just, it's so weird. Cause it goes off on, cause they cut, like they cut out the Renfield story. They, they cut a lot of stuff out to make the, the back half after, uh, Jonathan escapes from, uh, Castle Dracula a lot shorter, but like they have, he had room to put in this like three pages of just, just like Turkish pride. And it, it was, um, it was pretty, it was apparently pretty common in the day in the fifties to, uh, if you wanted to get anything published, it had to basically be Turkish propaganda, um, and, uh, yeah, no, that was kind of interesting to read. I, I had fun. <laughs> <laughs> so in the, uh, in the pantheon of reading Dracula story or, you know, adaptations of Dracula, not by Bram Stoker, this one's pretty low because it doesn't really go off the rails all that much in an interesting fashion, but when it does, man, it is kind of fun. And, uh, I don't know, it's short. You can just, I, I think it was like 200 pages or something. It was real short. So if you, if you want another feather for your cap, like I got, just go ahead and do it. I feel like that's what I've read. You're just shy of. I don't know, writing a doctorate thesis on on Dracula because you've spent so much time in those books lately. Yeah, yeah. No, Gina was talking about that, too, because I've read I've read six different versions of Dracula, uh, given one of them is for a role playing game. But we'll we'll ignore that. I've read 
one piece of literary criticism and history stuff, which was actually very interesting. I think you'd like it because they wouldn't do a lot of history, which was fun to read. Like I, I, I did not like know. That. I Eastern European history around 1890 is a fascinating topic, and and the world that uh, Bram Stoker lived in. That was a it was a really weird time in Europe. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also like. Um, you know, like a lot of people think that, you know, Dracula is just like a good weird fiction story. And it's like, you know, at the time, like, A, Bram Stoker hung out with the nobility. And B, there were at least two marriages in the English royal family where people can draw lines to Vlad the Impaler. And since Bram Stoker hung out with people and it was actually like a thing because, you know, uh, white people were also racist against Eastern Europeans back in the day or English people, I should say. The fact that two people married into the British royal family who had Dracula blood, and then he goes and writes a book talking about just how crazy, backwards, and savage Eastern Europeans are, and and having an Eastern European like monster that sucks out blood come invade England. I don't know, man. There might be something to that. Just saying. <laughs> Certainly no hidden messages there, Robert. I, I, you know, when you explain it that way, it's like, yeah, you know, that there, there might be something to that. That might be, you know, it's like people are like, keep politics out of this stuff. It's like, ooh, there might have been some politics in Dracula. Just saying, just saying, we just don't get it now. Just because you don't get it now doesn't mean it wasn't there at the time, sir. Just saying. Anyway, yes, yes, I could, I, I've read four sequels that people have written to, about Dracula. I've, uh, yeah, I've read way too much random nonsense about it. It's good times. Well, I've also been continuing to read the blade itself, uh, which we talked a little about a little bit about last episode. I've I've kind of pumped the brakes on it just a little bit, which is by no fault of its own. I just needed to get into phenomena for for you know our discussions. So I am kind of reading it on the side right now, but it will become my my primary book once we get through phenomena. Oh well, you were talking to Ray about it last night when we were playing Nice Black Agents and. You had kind of it. It sounded like you had put, kind of pushed through the the opening stuff that was reminding you so much of Game of Thrones. Is that was I was that my takeaway? Yeah, away? it's was starting I... to take its own direction now. It's starting to take its own direction. So, like the 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 basic premise, as explained in the first like 150 pages or so, is basically like there's a new king in the north, and he's banding everybody together, and they're you know coming down and want to want to take over the southern lands. And I mean, you know. I feel like we all saw that. The only thing that's missing really is, is white walkers right now. Um, who knows, but so far, no, you know, no major jumps like that. Um, but it just, it felt very, very the same. And now it's finally, now that it's, it's done some, some world building and some character building, it's starting to grow in its own direction, which I appreciate. Yeah. It reminds, it reminds me of what I heard about, um, who's the guy that wrote, uh, the wheel of time. Robert Jordan, Robert yeah. Jordan, when he when he wrote uh, the first book of the Wheel of Time, he purposely made the first hundred pages kind of sound like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit just to kind of like draw that that crew in. And then when he figured by about page 100 or so, he had you. And that's when he, you know, went off on more of his own style. But maybe that was the point. Like, you know, people who are into Game of Thrones, like wouldn't this surprise me if you told me that. Hmm. That's cool. I'm glad you like it. Ray was really happy you liked it because he he got he got so offended when you said like like the Wheel of Time series had broke your fantasy. <laughs> okay, but it wasn't the Wheel of Time series. Well, the TV series, not the Wheel of Time series of books. Right, 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 right. And and that's not the book's fault. I mean, like they just made a trash TV show, and it hurt to watch, and it kind of took my brain out of that space for a bit. But I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be back. It didn't take you long to get back. That's good. That's good. See, there's no, quality just stuff. just a couple episodes. 
Yeah. All right. What do you want to switch gears to? Should we do video games? Get those out of the way? I don't have very many. All right. So you've been continuing to play Fire Emblem. How, how are you enjoying it? Uh, I kind of, I, speaking of pumping the brakes, I pumped the brakes on that. Um, I was having a fantastic time. That game is so friggin' bizarre. Uh, speaking of Game of Thrones, it is very political like that. The way that the game is broken up is you have like these battles and the battles can take anywhere from like 20 minutes to an hour sometimes because they can get really involved and tactical, which is fun. I like it. The battling system, quite good. Um, But then uh, there's usually like one to three hours of just doing random like stuff at the monastery where you like talk to people and like do like almost like dating sim stuff. Like you take characters out for tea and you know, it's it's kind of like a weird gear shift, right? It is. And I, I actually really like those parts because I like kind of the unfolding stuff and learning about the characters. Like I thought she was a bit over the top at first, but there's a, there's a professor named, uh, I think her name's Manuela. Um, and she, I call her Professor Thirsty because she just wants to get into every dude's pants. Like <laughs> she is just thirsty. all, I like that. Uh, yeah, like I, I and I, I really shouldn't say it out loud because my my five year old twins call her Professor Thirsty. Oh, I'm like, oh, oh Robert! <laughs> <laughs> like, oops, Whoopsie. Robert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I I like it. I like it a lot. Like it's um, and I like the idea that, um, well, for one, they give you a game plus, which will be fun because I, I hear it's like not radically different if you pick a different house, but it is different enough that it, it kind of tweaks the game. So I am looking forward to playing it again and see how it changes if I, you know, don't pick the uh, the Black Eagles. Did you pick the Black Eagles? Who are you? I think I picked the Black Eagles. Yeah. Black Eagles for life. Gryffindor all the way, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) So because my boys thought that was really boring, I showed them uh, Dragon Quest XI a while ago and and they got really into it. And uh, and because that uh, I showed it actually to my boy Miles when he was homesick one day with that that the last cold we got and uh, we went through my monster manual and he thought it was super cool. I'm like, oh, Miles. Oh, you're quickly becoming my favorite boy. So then I I I, uh, I loaded up the Dragon Quest Eleven, and he got really into it. He started pretending nice. he was battling, and so I'm like, oh my god, I got to play this game again. But I'm like, I don't want to play this game again. Like I want. I, and then I realized that the definitive edition is slightly different, and it just happened to get on sale for the lowest price it's ever been at, which is twenty five bucks. And I'm like, okay, fine, fudge it. I'm, I'll I'll do that just so I have something new to do while I'm playing this 120 now eight hour game. I think is is with all the new stuff. And so yes, I'm about. I'm not. I'm not hardlining it as bad as I did the first go around. I've been playing it for a week now, and I I am a mere 11 hours in. So that that is, I think, more more acceptable for my age. Because oh my <laughs> god. Uh, but yeah, no that that game. That game's super sweet. Like I, um, there's games that like push the boundaries, you know, and like mm-hmm. stumble into new ideas, like you know Skyrim or or you know just try new things and try different things. And then there's Dragon Quest. They don't do anything new. There's nothing new. But what they do is they just they just get everything that they do except for some stuff that they hold on to because they're secret cows, like having to save at save points in this modern day. Like what the hell? But anyway. But what they do, they, like, perfect, you know? Like, for what Dragon Quest wants to be, like, Dragon Quest is always the best Dragon Quest it can ever be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And it's it's just so much fun. And, like, I forgot how awesome all the characters are. Like, the characters are great. 
and, and, and they're so much fun and, and they're just, you know, they're kooky and they're, they're, you know, ah, it's just, it's so good. It's a good game. It's a good game. I'm, uh, I'm having fun. I just got Silvando to join the party again. And, oh, I missed that guy. Silvando is nice. great. Nice. Silvando. It's not, it's not the luminary story. It's Silvando's story. You're just along for the ride with him. <laughs> All right. So what have you been playing? What have I been playing? Um, not a ton. Uh, I played um, some Street Fighter V because I was all excited for fighting games for some reason. And then, coincidentally, I'm, I'm playing Street Fighter V, which is now many years old. And um, I got an email from Steam and King of Fighters 15 was on like stupid cheap sale. So I picked that up and oh man, it's like, it's so good. I'm having so much fun with it. Yeah, you know what my my relationship with fighting games has been in my old age? Like, thinking about playing fighting games is always better than actually doing it. Because for some reason, as an old man, like, sitting around with your friends and passing around the controller, that's not fun. I'm not having a good time with that. I'm just like, eh. See, it's not I, boring. I, I brought I brought Lincoln in, and he really wanted to play it. So we played some King of Fighters 15. We played some Samurai Showdown, the, the new one that came out, like, a year or two ago. And then we played some Street Fighter, and that was good times. You know what? Maybe maybe that's what it needs. Maybe it's it's because I'm trying to do it with old man energy with my old man friends. And maybe I need like the children, you know? Yeah, it's just it's so much fun to see their reaction to everything. It's just you can tell they're having fun with it. it makes me happy. The boys got old enough that we uh, we started letting them play the switch. Uh, they, they really like Mario Kart for some reason, which is good because it's a game they can play together. And uh, yeah, that's been really fun to watch them just like racing and getting into it and and getting excited about Mario characters. I don't know. I, how do they know about Mario characters? It's not like I play a lot of Mario games in front of them, but they like know them all. It's so um, bizarre. You know, it's one of those things. It just becomes pervasive. Just like I never showed my kids Sonic the Hedgehog until they asked me about Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just bizarre. It's bizarre how Mario they came and started telling me about it. And I was like, Oh, don't tell me about Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay. I was there when it began. You see, you see, you were born with the hedgehog, but the hedgehog's a part of me. I was born in the hedgehog. Oh, you I wore the, the red shoes. Will save you. No, hold on. I'm much too. I'm much too clear. Oh, you think the hedgehog will save you? Yes, it did, Sophie. Yes. I'd like a number five combo. Extra large with a Diet Coke. <laughs> oh, this is great radio. Make that two French fries. <laughs> Where this is this is this is how we're gonna like this is how we're gonna break through, man. We're gonna bust through that ceiling. Just oh, just our yeah, bane. Yeah. By, by riffing should, on a ten year old movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should just do the whole. We should do the whole show like that. We, that that should just be forgot my bane. You know. Yeah, forgot like, my bane. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, all right. And so now yes, we move uh, on to the wisdom of crowds. So aside from aside from fighting game of Palooza over here, um, I also sat down and set up my steering wheel and my pedals and uh, my VR headset. And I was playing some Assetto Corsa Competizione. It's like the simmiest of Simi Sim Sims. There's a rap song in there. My simmiest of Simi Sim Sims. Yeah, there's yeah, there's something there. There's a good beat to that. With my blingiest of blingy bling blings. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not. It's a starting to take it. shape. It's starting to take shape. I, uh, yeah, I, say, I can see it. Who's making a beat for this thing? Definitely not me. Yeah, me either. Yeah. So yeah, that's about it for video games. Um, how about we move on to movies and TV? Okay. 
Okay. Should we, should we, should we, let, tell you what, can I, can I start at the bottom? Can I start at the bottom so we can have something to aspire to? Yes. Yes. Oh my fudging God, Star Trek Picard. Oh. Don't, don't, don't. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. It is amazing how fast that show is just unraveling before. Because like, you remember last time where I was said, I said my faith is starting to waver? Yes. What I am at right now is there is one episode left as the time we record this. By the time this comes out, it will be out. Basically, all the hope that Picard has with this final episode is it is it going to be worse than Discovery Season 1 or maybe a little tad better? Like, of the new Trek, like, that's that's the drain it is circling. Like, it, it may dethrone Star Trek Discovery Season 1 as the crappiest season of Star Trek. Because Discovery... Discovery didn't do a good job of being Trek at first. They kind of grew into it, and I'll forgive them for it because I, I actually like Star Trek Discovery now. But Picard start season season two started with so much promise, Jonathan. It started with so much promise, and it's just getting so bad. They have had two full episodes where the A plot is about characters getting captured, and then by the end of the end of that episode. They, 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 it's resolved and they get out and you want to know why they got captured and let go for no reason. It didn't drive the plot forward at all. And it happened twice. And it was the A plot for two episodes, two out of 10. (sighs) Well, that's, that's going to be next on my list of things to watch. I just need to make it through. I need to finish Moon Knight first and I just haven't had a whole lot of time. Dude, oh, it's so bad. Which is it's a good like, transition to the first thing I was watching, which is movie. Yeah, this is, hold on. Seriously, that show had like maybe four or five episodes. Like the first four episodes are actually fun. And then it just kind of unravels. But like, yeah, it had like four or five episodes of content and and they had 10. And and so like just the back five are just like, uh, like why? Why are we doing this? Oh. That bad, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it's real bad. It's real, real bad. So, so bad. Doesn't make any sense. Nothing makes sense. And and like they're doing that th- crap I hate in Star Trek, where they just like forget basic plot stuff, and they don't even have to really acknowledge it hard. They just have to like hand wave it. Like you know, there's been a fair amount about Picard's childhood in this season, and they sort of forgot that he had an older brother. You know. Like they, they don't, don't even like a mention your plot point in next gen. I'm aware. I'm aware. And all they'd have to say to resolve this is just say Robert is away at school. Like that's literally all they need to do. Just acknowledge that he exists, but he's not here right now. Like that's because it, it's fine, right? It's fine, but they can't even do that. <laughs> and it's just stuff like that. It's there's there's that's stuff like bad, that. All I the, really oh. enjoyed season one. I thought season one was quite good. Yeah, no. Season season two is is a dumpster fire. Like like after the first four episodes, like it starts unraveling after the the fourth episode. But like it just like like every episode's like, oh hey, look, the bar's down here. Well, if we go below that bar, won't that make the rest of the season better? And and that's like seems to be their goal right now is just to keep driving the bar lower and lower so the previous episodes get better in retrospect. Oh, that's depressing. Yeah, no, it's it's. Ah, uh, it is so. I, and I, I know positive podcast, but but just. Mm. And and here's the thing. Here's the thing. The really irritating part. The whenever John DeLance is on screen, it's f- sorry for cussing. I don't care. It's f- 
electric. Like Q. Holy crap. Like it's just it's just like it's it it's it's like Busey, you know? It just elevates everything. <laughs> and, and 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 but even then like but the second he's off camera everything just comes crashing back down and it's like ah i think it's more of a tribute to the quality of john delancey's performance right yeah and it uh, you know what it's it's actually making me very worried about picard season three after that big reveal that it's going to be a reunion season it's like oh my god well we can hope we can hope <sighs> I mean, Discovery's uh, gone through everything at this point. So, I mean, yeah. it was started on a low, became an absolute high, and then plummeted right back down again. So, who knows? It, Maybe it, we will. Season three was not as bad as season one. It was no, not it wasn't great. as bad as season one. But compared to the latter half of sec- uh, season two, it was a quarter of the show. I. Well, not, uh, season four, I, I have quite. Well, how about it. you just have an emotional dialogue and cry about it, please? Can we just do that now? You know, it's funny. I was telling you about this. Uh, yeah, like like Discovery became a whole new show. They went like five, six episodes, like half a season without anybody crying. I will believe that when I see it. I don't I, believe you right now. I hand to God, it happened. So anyway. All right. All right. Let's talk about better stuff. Moon Knight. Moon Knight. Talk about Moon Knight. I am really enjoying Moon Knight. It is lovely. I'm four episodes in. Yeah, I still haven't had much of a drive to see that, but I, you're, you're making me think twice about my feelings on it. I'm just, I'm really enjoying it. It's a kooky character that really shouldn't work, and yet they're making it work within the context of the show. And honestly, Can like, I ask you a question: Oscar, like, how much of how much oh, is of that is Oscar Isaac? I don't know that it works without him. To be honest with you, like his huh. performance is off the charts phenomenal. It's it's all these little details that he imbues into the different personalities of the character. Like his body language changes. His mannerisms change. He had like a, a hidden Doug Jones in him that we didn't even know about. Yeah. Like legitimately watch, huh. watch the, even the way he walks is different. I mean, it's just shocking how devoted he is to splitting these into two completely fleshed out individual characters. Does he ever do the meme and, and calls Dracula a effing nerd and tells him to give him his money? Not yet because we haven't really run into Dracula yet, but Oh, okay. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, who knows? I'm only halfway through. So <laughs> I don't know. Like on paper, Moon Knight just shouldn't work. And this show works. It works very well. And it's, it's telling a surprisingly deep and interesting story. I'm having a, a genuinely good time with it. And, and you know, like, I'm, I'm not afraid to say that I had started to get a little burnt out on Marvel. And, I mean, Eternals didn't do me any favors there. Uh, honestly, that's exactly where I am right now. And between this and Hawkeye, I'm back. I'm back in. I'm back in. Well, you have me at a disadvantage because I watched Hawkeye when it was new last Christmas. So I've 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 got. Yeah, I don't have that to look forward to. Well, I mean, it's it's I think it's up there with Hawkeye and I can't wait to see what they do with the character once the show is over, because, I mean, he's going to be a part of the the Marvel Universe now. So, I mean, who knows where he'll show up? Hmm. True, true. And that's exciting. Like. Also, just. God, man, like Oscar Isaac, just I can't say enough good things about him. So I have continued a little bit with Fringe. Shows, shows have a you gotten dark. to the episode I told you to? 
God, no, it's old TV. There's like 20 episodes a season, man. I'm like on episode 14 of season one. Oh, it is so weird, by the way. It is so weird watching old TV. Like after after years of, of watching, you know, because like Fringe, Fringe is modern enough, even though it, it has some things that they wouldn't do these days because there's. Th- yeah. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, but it feels much more like a modern TV show, but it's still spinning its wheels a lot like an old timey TV show. And it's weird. And the funny part is like uh, Fringe is acknowledging that time's going by, but time seems to be going by in real time. So, like, they make references that they started doing, you know, this crazy stuff, like, you know, three, four months ago. And it's like, this is episode 11. You've had, like, 11 cases. Do you know how much paperwork any of these things would generate? (laughs) And you do, do like, one every two weeks? They have people for that, okay? You do. It's like something happens to them once a week. And I'm like, that that's not like a pattern guys that's like that's like war <laughs> that's like this whoever whoever is doing the pattern has gone to war and uh i don't know it's 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 just weird like and just watching like filler episodes you know where they they try to keep it in the vein of things but it's you know it's kind of not connected to anything it's so bizarre to watch because you just don't do that anymore you know it's 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 weird it's an interesting experience i'm having fun though because it's all it's all mad science and psychics and non yeah just it's up my alley conspiracy techno conspiracies it's good oh, times well i'm 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 telling you now i i'll let you know to get season, season two, two episode, episode 18. 18 yeah right i remember tulip. i remember i'll i'll tell you i at the rate i'm going it'll probably take me three or four weeks because i i can I, be I, patient I I can watch three or four episodes a week. Hey, I hope, oh my God, hopefully I can get done with this before summer because when the kids get out of school, I'm not going to have nearly as much time to watch this crap. Oh God, that's not cool. Okay, I'm going to have to go harder. <laughs> uh, that just occurred to me. School, like we're, as of right now, like six weeks out from school ending over here. You're probably, oh, you're probably. We're like, I think 17 days. Yeah. Yeah, school gets out much later here. Not that I'm night. getting reminded on an almost hourly basis by Carlos or anything, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. He, he's ready. <laughs> so also per your, uh, your recommendation, I watched the Adam project and it was good. I liked it. it was very it's fun. fun, right? Like it's yeah. super fun. It knows what it is. It doesn't try and be more and it's just enjoyable and you watch it and you smile and you come away from it and you feel good. Yeah. That's, that's all and, needs to be said. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be any more than that. And that's okay. It just, it was a movie that made me smile and I had a good time watching it. And speaking of Mike Ruffalo, uh, my wife wanted to watch a uh, chick flick and uh, you know, it's like, okay, fair enough, whatever. If I don't want to watch it, I'll do something else. But the one she chose, I actually oh, yeah. wanted no, to watch. I saw this on the list and I was seriously, seriously questioning your commitment to leading a good, happy wholesome lifestyle. Okay. So back during impossible landscapes, I found a podcast called the good friends of Jackson Elias because they did a five part series, five over hour shows on the King yellow, which was great. And I was, uh, I liked the show. So I was listening to it cause it's a whole bunch of British guys talking together about call of Cthulhu. It's fun. In one episode, they had an actual factual parapsychologist on and I'm, I'm like, I will listen to that. Like, I, I didn't know that was still a thing. I'm, I, you have my attention. And uh, it, was, it was very interesting to listen to. And one of the things they asked him was, out of all modern media, which gets closest to how ghosts actually work uh, 
in Hollywood. And he said of modern media, uh, based off of current uh, parapsychology, parapsychology research, just like heaven. And I'm like, the hell? <laughs> and so when my wife wanted to pick that movie, like uh, uh, it, the little light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, I'll watch it. Oh, yes, I will watch this. So that was interesting from that point of view. It, it, it's a chick flick. Mark Ruffalo is, is cute. Cute as a button in it. And, and so is, uh, 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 I only know Reese Mark because he's he, Reese Witherspoon. She needs to be in a Marvel movie because then I'd remember her. But uh, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was okay. I don't know what he meant. I might have to go back to listen to that episode because I, I can't remember if he talked about what he meant by that. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's why I watched it. Parapsychology, man. It's a weird field. Uh, well, the only other thing that I sat down and watched was I watched some of the X-Men animated show. Still good? Actually, surprisingly so. Watch the two-part, the the, the two-part, I don't know, not intro, like the first episode. I mean, especially when you consider when the show came out, it is a pretty, like, in-your-face anti-racist statement like it it comes right out and says that the 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 mutants are being you know completely right right right. marginalized and having their rights removed and i mean like it's not subtle for mid-90s tv yeah yeah for a long time i mean that was the allegory of the x-men was they were a uh you know yeah yeah but i mean like i would have expected mid 90s tv to water that message down a bit and bless the writers of this show they didn't like they come right at it with a baseball bat that's the subtlety that they use and i say that i say that out of admiration for being able to stand up and send that message in that time frame to kids and you know what maybe 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 that's part of the reason that I am the way I am, because I watch that show like crazy and I I'm very thankful for things like that. I was I've, I've been very pleasantly surprised at the the quality of the show, given the time frame that it's in. Which is not to say that it's not occasionally having its problematic moments, you know, again, given the frame of time that it came out in. But it is it's aging surprisingly well. Watch the first two episodes. I mean, I I would love to get another. Maybe, maybe I'm watching it with rose tinted glasses because I loved it so much when I was a kid. Okay, but I, I I don't think I am. I don't think I am. I think it's legitimately it, it's it's a show with a real positive message and it's not subtle about it. And maybe that's maybe that's what the world needed back then. Maybe that's what the world needs right now. Yeah, no joke. So here we are, Jonathan. Here we are, the Batman with the Robert Pattinson. So. So it must be said, I have not yet had an opportunity to sit down and watch it. I mean, in fact, I'm just looking at my pile of movies here on my desk that I still need to get to before I can even get to the Batman. I've got Spider-Man No Way Home here. I've got The Kingsman. I am just, it's been, oh man, the last couple of weeks, Robert, it's just been exhausting. Uh, we have no time. Well, well, put Batman and Spider-Man a little bit higher on your list. <laughs> Those are both very good films. Yeah, yeah, very, very pleasantly surprised by the Batman. Very pleasantly surprised. I've heard nothing but good things. I've heard nothing but good things. What I have really liked about it is... Um, Do you sparkle? No, no, not that. <laughs> Although that's funny. Uh, no, the best meme along those lines I've seen was uh, Robert Pattinson prepared for the role of Bruce Wayne by being that guy from Twilight for 14 years. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fair. 
Uh, I've really liked the movie because it's it's very aware of previous Batman films and it actively tries to not be them. You know, it tries to do in certain things anything else than what they've done before. And uh, it's good. It, I, I liked it because um, they they basically dodged a lot or do, they dropped, like willingly dropped a lot of Batman shorthand and, and did something different. And uh, the, the franchise needed that, you know? Yeah. The franchise really needed that. The the last thing we need is an, another go at the origin story. Yeah, yeah. No, they don't even bother. Um, Which is good. We don't need it. Like, we've already gotten it four or five times in movies. Like, it, 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 we're good. We're good. We're good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I also like it because um, with the exception of the car chase that you see in the, uh, the trailer, all of the action scenes in it are pretty short and very brutal. Dude, they, the, the one they show in the trailer... He doesn't just beat that man. He beats him with anger and, and just pure emotion. Like, it's not a normal beating. Tell you what, tell you what. I don't want to talk about this until you've seen the movie. Because the, the the movie itself has a thesis and, uh, and, and it's good. All right, all right, all right. Don't tell me, don't tell me anymore. Don't tell me anymore. I'll, I'll, I'll prioritize it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two, two thumbs up. I, I was very pleasantly surprised. Because I, I have been very over the Batman for quite a while. Like I, I, I used to be super into Batman just like everybody was. And then, uh, actually it was the dark Knight rises came out and, uh, and that movie broke me. It didn't even break me. Uh, the, the thesis of that movie, I, I, I took into my soul and realized what was correct that I am superior to Batman because for Batman to win, he has to give it up and be a normal schmo like me. And since I can be a normal schmo, I am superior to Batman. Like that is the thesis of that film. And I, I internalized it. And ever since then, like I, I couldn't deal with Batman. I was just like, ah, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but that, that I, I will, I will very willingly go see, uh, the Batman sequel, whatever they decide to call it. Like, yes. Yeah. It, it got was, green. It was very good. That, yeah, I, I'm aware. Yeah. There's, there's a freaking reason it got green, green lit. It was good. Like it was real good. Tell me no more. I will have no okay. more of this. We're moving on to apparently another topic. Cause I think that was it. That, that was indeed it. All right, well, then let's move into RPGs. Uh, we played an RPG. Knights Black Agents continues to roll. We, we played twice because yes. we, had to go, we had to go back to back to get back on the schedule because I didn't want to go three weeks without, because that would be sad. So we, we doubled up, which was fun. And it ended up working out well. I had a lot of fun last night. I ran out of juice. I, I ran out of juice at the end, and I'm very sorry. I think I just, like, I hit my wall. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, a lot. So we've kind of like moved into the, the the middle part, the the second movie of the trilogy or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, uh, there was a bit of an ex- exposition dump last night, uh, but I, everybody said it, they had a really good time, even though it was mainly two people sitting at a cafe with sunglasses on talking. Like that was the majority of the plot. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we we got insight into the you know kind of like the what's behind the curtain, so to speak. And I think we have some direction and I mean, it's fun. We all had a chance to be our characters last night. And I think maybe that's what, what makes it fun. And all my character did was stare through a scope uh, and make a couple of text messages, but they were so such good character moments. Cause that's him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like asking for the to go food when we're having like a stakeout, like that is absolutely something that character would do. Cause he was hungry. I've been trying to, explain to you guys like okay so the dracula dossier is an improvisational campaign and it's like what does that mean 
Uh, it means, for one, I walked into that having absolutely no plan about how it was going to end. I, I was just going through the motions. And, and you know, I, was, I, I take very careful notes so I can make sure plot lines, like, continue in a believable way. But I, I had absolutely no plan. I didn't come up with a plan until we were, what, eight sessions in at that point? <laughs> yeah. And, and so now now I've got a plan and I'm trying to like, you know, weave it all together. But basically everything that that campaign is right now and what it is heading towards exists solely because you guys made choices that pointed it there. And to give you an example of how things could have been drastically different. So one of the things we do in the game is we uh, we cast people as the characters because it makes faces easier to remember uh, because there's a lot of char- not not as bad as impossible landscapes, but it, it's bad. No, but there's a lot of characters. So you had a visit by a British agent who was played by David Tennant yesterday. His name is Elvis. So circling back to several sessions ago, like I think the fourth one, you guys had a choice where you could either go to Lubick, Germany to go visit what basically was Abraham Van Helsing's ancestral home where he had stashed some stuff that you guys found. Or you guys could have gone to find this general that you stole a bunch of stuff from and you, and you thought might be in trouble, but you couldn't do both. And the general was in uh, Belgium, uh, in, in, in Brussels, right? That's in Belgium, right? Yes. Yes. Or, or you could go to Germany yeah, and you had to pick and you guys picked to go to Germany. So circling back to that, the, the road not taken, Jonathan. So I don't know if you remember, but when you found out what was going on with this general, some, uh, the general secretary mentioned that he was hanging out with an Englishman. The Englishman was Elvis. I've had that picture of Elvis sitting on my iPad since then. Cause I made it just in case <laughs> because I, I basically realized you guys would do one of two things and it would do, it would do a lot of stuff for the game. So that's, I did the, I did the picture of, uh, Rebecca Ferguson as a character, and I did a picture of David Tennant as a character. And I've had it sitting there since. So, but think about it. Think about it. If you had made that choice, then you would have gone to try to find the general. You probably would have ended up in a firefight with that guy. And you would have been, uh, what you uh, would have found out <laughs> is that basically the general was being blackmailed because that family friend that they mentioned, they, they had her. And they were basically saying, you get, you have to be quiet about all this or else something bad will happen to her name's Cassandra. Something bad will happen to her. And so then you guys would have got us set on a track to go in, go into England, basically where this British, you know, the Edom project is doing stuff and trying to find her and getting into more and more, you know, trouble with that side of the stuff. And then that lovely conversation you had with that guy in a cafe in Greece, that would never have happened because they would have been your primary antagonist at this point in the campaign. And that, that is, that is what the beauty of that book is. It gives you this giant sandbox slash toolbox and players get to make choices. And the choices actually matter because if you guys had gone down that route, we would be in a very different place right now. See, that's one thing that, that's bugged me so much about most of the campaign books I've ever read is that they are extremely linear and the choices that are presented to the players are a choice in name only, I guess you could say, because they're, they they end up looping back to the, 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 the core storyline and there really is only one core storyline. And, and this sounds like it's doing things a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the director's handbook is a gigantic toolbox. Um, it gives you a few different or it gives you two different interpretations of what uh, Dracula is. Um, it gives you four different endings and it says you can make up your own two, but here's four ideas for how you could end the game. Um, it gives you, 
Um, and it just gives you a ton of locations, people, objects, history. I, I, I've seen it before. Somebody like, cause every, every person thing or place has connections to other people, places and things. And somebody went and made like a diagram of all of it, you know, with like, you know, little spider webby lines coming off of everything. And like the flow chart between all of these items and people and places is absurd. And the way that the game works is you basically, as a game master, you get these little plugins, you know, it's like this, is there's this thing, there's this thing, and there's this thing. And then it's up to you to like make a storyline out of it for the, the sessions. But like I, I, because you guys actually do get to make choices and the choices matter. Like I, I only keep like about a session ahead of you guys. That's why I, I make you guys tell me what you're going to go investigate next. And then I run off and write an adventure about it as we progress. And I know, I know what's up top now. I know where we're going to end. And now my job is to just sort of steer all your choices to get to that peak. And well, and the peak is killing Dracula, which you guys are very motivated to do at this point anyway. So it's not going to be hard, but you know what I mean? It's, it's friggin' brilliant. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's it's very very interesting. It's the best campaign I've ever read because yeah, it 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 is it it does the strength of what the promise of you know tabletop role playing is, which is your choices actually matter, and yeah, they do. Like it gives you that promise, and it's and it's true, and it's very cool from that. Well, I'm having a great time. I think it's a phenomenal campaign. Uh, I listened to a guy, uh, he has a podcast, his name's Ben Riggs and his group, they played it twice in a row because it can, you know, it can be so absurdly different just based off of what, you know, buttons and knobs you twist. It's, it's fascinating. Highly recommend it. It's, it's a very good read. I'm glad you're having a good time. I am. I'm having a great time. (laughs) Sorry. I went on a 10 minute tangent about stuff. That's okay. That's okay. Why does it not seem like I'm having a good time? Uh, no, I didn't say that. Oh, okay. I'm glad I, I I'm glad I mean seriously we had a we had a it wasn't a long session but we had a session where it was basically two one character and one NPC sitting in a cafe with sunglasses on having a conversation and uh and, and a couple of thinly veiled threats and uh veiled yeah veiled <laughs> you're much yeah. too kind yeah yeah but like yeah, no, I'm glad everybody had a good time because Gina had a good time and she barely talked in it and you barely talked in it. It was mostly uh, it was mostly Ray and Ray felt bad because like the spotlight was on him. But it was like, yeah, but that was kind of kind of the uh, I don't know. I'm glad everybody had a good time for what was essentially just two people sitting in the cafe talking. Uh, I, I feel good about pulling that off. Well, it, yeah, it came together. It totally worked. I can't wait for the next episode because if we hopefully we play again, hopefully nothing happens. Dunk on wood on that, too. Next session's going to get weird. It's going to be fun. <laughs> oh, oh God. Oh God. The party, Jonathan. I can't wait. It's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, I'll say this out loud because you'll forget. Cause you, you have the, you have the memory of a, of a sieve. I just have too much in my head right now. I guarantee you during the next session, I'm going to be describing something and you are audibly going to say what the <laughs> I mean, with me, that's almost guaranteed. But. And it's not it's not the the, you know, angry. It's like the what the f- <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited now. That's exciting. Did you have fun last night? Yeah. Yeah. Do those little character moments mean as much to you as they do to us? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fun. It's fun. I, I it's nice that I could have an exposition dump about how, filling you in on on this 
story that I've crafted and things that have been going on behind the scenes around you guys. And uh, I get to say it out loud because sometimes saying that stuff out loud about how clever I am and you guys eating it up is fun. That that made me feel good. So, yes, of course I enjoyed that. <laughs> um, all right. Shall we move on? Yeah, I think board games. Yeah. Yeah, board games. Um, not a ton. And a lot of them have been on the phone recently. That's just the nature of being super busy. You and I have uh, games of Seven Wonders and Welcome to Roland. Mm-hmm, as always. Uh, I am so glad to be playing Welcome to again. I'd forgotten how much I really enjoy that game. Indeed. And I'm not even winning, but it doesn't matter because it's just a fun puzzle. It's a fun mental exercise to try and maximize it, you know? It's just, it's really neat. I really like it. I also like it because we can play against each other, but we are not directly in, um, affecting each other, like Seven Wonders. And to me, that is a little more fun because I don't ever want to break somebody's game, you know? Yeah, yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Especially since my um, my instinct is to go for the jugular. Like, I can't not go for the jugular. It, it always entertains me in Seven Wonders when you get into, like, an army battle with somebody, and I just, especially when you're not on my side of the table, and I, I, I just see you down there, and it's like, ah, they're getting the army battle. Oh, yeah, I can't help myself. Like, the moment somebody threatens my borders with their armed forces, I just I armor up. I, I can't stop myself. You know, it goes to the the balance of that game, I got to say, and how, you know, uh, the the middle of the pack in that last game, we were like, I think it was like third, fourth and fifth were separated by a point. Yeah, it was really close. And then the person below that was separated by an additional three from the bottom. So it was, you know, because I I, I think the the point spread of. I, I think the whole point spread was nine points, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Which it is was, uh, really tight. Agreed. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm also playing Welcome to with Dale uh, right now um, on Board Game Arena. So we need to get him in some of our larger games. And we are playing Century Silk Road. Oh, nice. Which is lovely. I'd forgotten how much. I've, I've had a lot of Emerson Matsuichi uh, these last couple days. I've been playing uh, Foundations of Rome, getting ready for the review today. And I've been playing uh, now Century Silk Road. So that's, uh, yeah, I, I I enjoy his his designs quite a bit. Uh, have you gotten a game of Fire in the Sky in that I, I see on your list? Yes. So I'm, I, I have not managed to get it onto the table in playing yet, but I've been disassembling the very, very thick rule book. This is a like super, super detailed sim. You've, you've got... Uh discord up open up uh podcast talk and look at the last post podcast talk podcast talk podcast talk uh, it's between books and rpg talk there we go <laughs> yes done done sold sold ray sold yeah ray ray uh said jonathan says fire in the sky i just need to find a history nerd to play it with me and then he posted a gif of uh dr evil trying to get a hug out of mini me and you know pick me pick me <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, uh, consider that done. Consider that done. We'll have to see if there's an <laughs> online module because, um, yeah, this looks like it's right up my alley in a variety of different ways. He, uh, Ray and I had a lot of fun playing uh, a lot of Undaunted together. We've played that game a few times and now I want to play Undaunted. So thanks for that. Dang it. And then Foundations of Rome, which we'll talk about later in the podcast. So that's it for me. Is that our list? Right. Is that it? That's our, That's it. That's it. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our first segment, which means it's breaky break time. And when we return, 
It'll be time for Wisdom of Crowds, so we'll see you in just a minute. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at ForgotMyDice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment where we talk about a relatively small amount of things this week. I've got three, which is which is good for me these days. Our friends over at Asmodee have launched a new program. It's called Unbox Now, and that includes 11 of Asmodee's best-selling games from across their different uh, imprints. Uh, and they are all said to be super accessible, super easy to learn, and just generally fun for any age group. So the Unbox Now label is um, basically designed to to try and give n- folks that are maybe new to board games um, kind of a an, an easy uh, barrier of entry, right? Something that they know that they can see and get a specific type of experience that that is maybe not, oh, say, fire in the sky. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So the 11 games in the program are, surprise to nobody, Catan, Rivals for Catan, Pandemic, Ticket to Ride, Ticket to Ride Europe, Seven Wonders, Seven Wonders Duel, Carcassonne, Splendor, Dixit, and Azul. So that's a really good selection of games with different styles, but I see where they're coming from. Those are all very easy to access games. Uh, one other last thing to say about the Unbox Now program is that there is actually a loyalty program associated with it as well. And um, people can go online and get free content and features like uh, online instruction books and whatnot. And it's also going to include a free access to the Board Game Arena implementation, the official implementation of each of those games, which is really cool. So we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but here we are. Wizards of the Coast has announced Spelljammer Adventures in Space. Way, way, way back when they said that we, they were going to release old products in a way that they had not been released before, which I guess is technically correct in this case, which is the best kind of correct. It is not just a hardcover book, Jonathan. It is a three book slipcase, uh, which will also come with a two sided poster map and a dungeon master screen. It'll retail for uh, $69.99. The three books are the Astral Adventures Guide which is for DMs and players with new races and rules and spaceships and whatnot. And confirm, Jonathan, your favorite, favorite, favorite thing, which you I did not saw know this. about. You, you texted me about it. Yeah, the GIF, my friend. I'm the GIF so are going to be officially there. 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's been a it's been a minute since I bought a D and D book, mostly because I haven't been able to run anything. Thanks, COVID. So I I'm going to make a special exception. I will go and purchase this book just so that I can get my GIF. Well, then you should see the FLGS alternate cover system for it because the alternate covers are these beautiful sort of Art Nouveau looking pieces of art. One of them has an astral elf. One of them has a hamster. And the third Jonathan <gasps> Oh, he's got a smoking pipe and a monocle. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I was thinking of you. Uh, the second book is Booze Menagerie, which is a monster book. The third book is The Light of Zarasis. Zar, Zar, whatever. Z- X, X-based fantasy Do word. Do not let me forget to buy this book. Which will be an adventure. Uh, it comes out in August, so you got plenty of time. Uh, and you should be able to pre-order it at your local FLGS, so maybe you should march your butt down to Dragon's Lair and go throw some money at them and say, make sure I have this. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good idea. I will do that. Oh, man, that's exciting. And we went over, because they'd been dropping hints for a long time that they might be doing Spelljammer. We actually went over the Spelljammer fluff way, way back in episode 38. I do remember that, um, even yeah. if it was, at this point, what, four and a half years ago? Yeah, yeah. So they, they have been dropping hints that this was on the agenda for quite a can, while. Can we just take a moment to marvel at the fact that um, we've been around long enough doing this show that things are starting to come full circle? <laughs> 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 I just, this is not the first time it's happened. It's just kind of surreal that, that uh, we've been doing the show long enough for things to come around twice. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so yeah, Spelljammer Adventures in Space. Also, also, if you don't know anything about Spelljammer and you're thinking, oh, this is just D&D's answer to Starfinder, Starfinder is like science fantasy or fantasy science. Spelljammer literally is D&D in space. Like, it's got... In space! Yes. Yeah, like, you don't get laser guns and, and sci-fi nonsense. You are on sailing ships sailing through space. <laughs> All right. Well, guess what? I have professed my love of Stonemaier Games Viticulture in the past, and we are getting a new Viticulture uh, expansion. And this one has me particularly excited because it's fully cooperative. It's called Viticulture World. So this was actually an expansion designed not uh, by uh, Jamie Stegmeier originally. It was designed by Mihir Shah and Francesco Testini. Uh, and then Jamie Stegmeier developed it. Um, it's got new artwork by Andrew Bosley, and it's one to six players and takes about an hour to two hours to uh, to play. And you do need the base game because this is an expansion. It's not a standalone uh, product. So all of you will cooperate with members of your own family in um, a bunch of asymmetrical continents as you attempt to achieve global recognition for your wine brand. And I'm excited. I think this sounds fabulous. I love Viticulture. I think it's one of the most underrated uh, games on the planet. It's just a phenomenal game. And this having a co-op expansion now just pleases me that much more. So it is expected later this summer in June of 2022. Um, And uh, yeah, there you go. There's more information available on Stonemaier's website. I talked about how Wizards of the Coast is buying D&D and Beyond. We are now seeing what I think is going to be possibly hints about what they plan to do with it. 
if you go to wizards.com and make an account, or if you already have an account to D&D Beyond, you can access the Monstrous Compendium Volume 1 Spelljammer Creatures right now, today. You can just download it. It's a shortish PDF with a number of uh, space monsters in it, uh, including the Asteroid Spider, Clockwork Horror, Eldritch Lich, Fractine, Catabout, Goon Balloon, which Goon Balloons are fudging amazing, uh, Nightmare Beast, Puppeteer Parasites, Star Lancers, and not Yggdrasils, Yggdrasti, something like it's a branch of the World Tree. I don't know how you pronounce that. But I think it's interesting that they're uh, trying to get you to make a Wizards account or access it through D&D Beyond. And they've also said they're going to release a Spelljammer adventure before the book gets released as kind of like a pilot episode to get your campaign into space uh, off of the service, too. And I think it's something to watch because I think we're seeing how some of the integration of the online and tools and whatnot and D&D is going to work based off of what they're doing here, which is interesting, I guess. I don't know. I just like the new monsters. Asteroid spiders are scary. It's an asteroid. Then it opens up into a giant friggin' spider that tries to eat you and yeah, your boat. I, I could do without that. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. not that's not a pleasant thought. I don't need to think of spiders going through space and asteroids that could land on our planet at any moment and consume us all. Yeah. Yeah. It's good times. It's good times. Thanks for that nightmare fuel right before bed. Oh, my God. Thank you. Oh, my. Oh my God, Jonathan! By the way, by the way, oh, 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 oh. did you watch the the little preview video they made for for Spelljammer? Did I make you do that yet? No, no, you have not. Oh my God! Okay, let me find this video. Let me find it's on YouTube. Okay, okay. I like the little gerbil. <laughs> oh, there's my boy, the Griff. Okay, this is fantastic. Oh, mom's still got the little fella. Yeah, it's a space hamster. It's a miniature giant space hamster. Oh, now it's a sad space hamster. <laughs> Look at that beautiful Griff standing up there with his pipe. Dude, this looks phenomenal. Yeah, I'm sold, man. I'm so sold. <laughs> and no miniature what? giant space hamsters were emotionally harmed during filming of this commercial. <laughs> That's good stuff. That's good stuff. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, Spelljammer looks fun. It um, it was in most need of a reboot because it really was not its own setting at, at first. It kind of grew into one, but you had to like read everything, and it yeah, it didn't really have a plan at first. But yeah, it's got the most room to just kind of go nuts, and and they they look like they're going nuts, which makes me happy. Well, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. Don't don't let me forget to pre-order this sucker because you know. Okay. Will. Okay. Hound me on that. All right. All right. If you are at all a follower of the goings-on over at the Dice Tower, then you probably heard of the name Roy Canaday. Uh, he is one of the uh, 
pundits over at the Dice Tower, and he has designed uh, his first game, and it's coming out. It's called Last Light. Now, here's the part that gets me. It's a 4X game that can be played in an hour. I rolled a disbelief. No. Yeah, I know, I right? Me possible. too. Me too. So we shall see. We shall see. Uh, it's going to be published by Gray Fox Games, uh, and it's called Last Light. Um, artwork is going to be by Clark Miller and Christian Stain. So it's uh, two to four players in the base game, and they are clearly saying 45 minutes to 75 minutes uh, to play. Um, so the vast majority of games, they say, are wrapped up in less than 60 minutes. The, um, there will also be an expansion released uh, with the game. It's called the Infinity Expansion, and that will let you actually jump up the number of players up to eight players, which is pretty cool. Not, not a ton of eight-player 4X games out there. Well, Unless yeah, because it would them take 20 take, years. Yeah, exactly, a decade to play. So there you go. It is on its way. The 4X game that takes less than an hour to play. I, um, I could get behind that. In fact, I did get behind one last year when I backed the um, Stellaris Kickstarter because they said that was a 4X game that could be played in a relatively small amount of time. So we shall see. That That's just getting off theme, man. I've I've played an ungodly amount of that game, and I still have not even completed one. Because <laughs> like, the, there is a final year in Stellaris, and I've never played a game long enough to get there. Yeah, so Stellaris's big claim to fame was that you could uh, complete the game in under two hours. So now, now there seems to be an arms race around four uh, X game, games that do not take uh, the better part of your lifetime to to finish. <coughs> Twilight Imperium, <coughs> and I say that with love because I friggin' love the living daylights out of that game. So, Jonathan, in my old age, uh, we've discussed this in the podcast in the past. Um, Media is You're only getting more handsome with age, my friend. Thank you. Uh but media doesn't isn't aimed at you or I as much anymore. It's aimed for younger people with references and jokes that we don't understand and scare us. Yes, right? and runtimes that are sub one minute. Yes. So <laughs> so when something does get aimed directly at me, it uh it gets my attention. So Evil Genius Games announces that they are doing a reboot of D20 Modern uh, that's coming to Kickstarter about a week after the podcast comes out uh, on the 17th of May. Now, we haven't covered Kickstarters in quite a long time for reasons, but this one, I think, bears notice. So one of the things that you can buy as part of this Kickstarter, which they say will go for $130, and I don't know if that's on top of the, the book or including it, who knows, but they're calling it the Season Pass of adventure and Jonathan wait till you hear this lineup so for one year in 2023 you will get adventure books that come with backgrounds and classes and stuff for this game in the following order Universal Soldier Rambo Pacific Rim Kong Skull Island Highlander The Crow Escape from New York and Total Recall all officially licensed games that have adventures in them that they call cinematic adventures. So I'm assuming this is like alien RPG. So it's like a one shot or a, 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 a short campaign that'll take a f- couple of sessions to finish. And all of those properties from our childhood, sir, aim directly at us. Uh, D20 Modern, uh, the original one was uh, based off of 3.5 D&D. It was kind of like just D&D in the modern day. I guess that's the best way to say it. Uh, it was focused on emulating action movies. Uh, if you like The Expanse, you can thank D20 Modern for it existing because that was based off of a role-playing game using the D20 Modern rules uh, that they made into a novel. 
So this will be a fifth edition. Really good set of novels. Yes. So this will be a a fifth edition version of that game. So there you go. But aimed at us, Jonathan. Aimed squarely at us. It's very strange. And I I thought I might have your attention with Kong Skull Island because they say there are going to be super megafauna uh, monster rules in that book. Now I need to buy this too. Yeah, yeah. It's, so uh, it's got that. my attention. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the first thing I saw was Rambo, and I'm like, what? And then I read the rest. I'm like, oh, my God. And then you could combine Pacific Rim with Kong Skull Island. I mean, come on. And Highlander, because why not? Why not have one of the, the, the Jaeger pilots be the only one? Right? I mean, I'm down with it. <laughs> now, I know it, at some point in the show's history, we've talked about Galaxy Trucker, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. It, it's a classic. Yeah, it is I've a classic. I've never played it. It's a super, really? Oh, man, it's a super yeah. fun classic. A um, little frantic, but in, not in a bad way. Every time I hear that, I think of that uh, that crappy HBO original movie with uh, Dennis Hopper and uh, the, the bad guy from Blade. I don't know if you've ever Which seen one? it. The but- original one? Dennis Hopper and um, uh, Stephen Dorff? Yeah, yeah. I think it's called Space Truckers. Um, yeah, it is. And that movie is amazingly bad in all the yeah. right ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So bad, so bad, but so good. Yeah. I keep hoping that galaxy truckers is like space truckers. Cause I, I want it to be, I want to, I want to truck square pigs. Now you're making me want to watch galaxy truckers again. You know, the only thing that was worse than galaxy truckers. And I say that with love. So I think it was space truckers, but yeah, go on. Um, hold on. What was the name of that game? Are you thinking I cast a deadly spell? Are we on the Dennis Hopper? Oh, no, 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 no. There was, uh, do you remember Lodestar, the legend of Tully Bodine? You might not. Vaguely. It was a Sega CD game. If that's not taking Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) It was an FMV rail shooter. In the sewers, right? No, no, that was, that was, um, sewer, sewer shark. Super Super Shark, Shark. yeah. Lodestar was about a space trucker named Tully Bodine. And he was just trying to get contraband camels off of the moon colony uh, and and get them to Phobos. Yeah, Phobos would be a great place to put a base because it's not irregularly shaped and tiny and have strange gravity. No. Oh, my God, Lodestar. You know, the the, the big thing was uh, Ned Beatty was in it. Mm Mm-hmm. In other news, yes. So, Galaxy Truckers uh, got a re-release last year. Uh, it was a new edition, and now the first expansion is coming out. It is Galaxy Trucker. Keep on trucking. Uh, you'll find three new types of spaceships, lots of new components and technology, uh, new aliens with various specializations, new adventure cards, new trucking titles, new ca- uh, rough road cards, and yeah. Um, some of the content might seem familiar. It was in an expansion that was originally released in 2007, uh, for the older version of the game. So yeah, the new version of Galaxy Tracker is getting its, um, its first expansion. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our news segment, which means it's time for us to kick gears into a really weird space. It's time for us to talk about a king in all things. Yes. Welcome to part 15 in our now 42 part series. A king in all things, uh, which means we are, uh, gosh, we're, we're about a third of the way through, a little over a third of the way through. That is, of course, where we are watching all the Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas in order of release date, along with the occasional extra. 
so here we are with the 14th film in the series, and we are firmly in the 90s now, and it's very, very easy to tell because there's a distinct change in camera motion and film quality. And I'm not talking about the quality of the actual filmmaking. I'm talking about the literal film. The color palette is better because film stock in the 80s was garbage. We were watching Needful Things, Jonathan, directed directed by Frazier Clark Heston, made for a budget, as near as I could find, of $21 million. It made $15.2 million. It has Ned Harris, actually pretty decent cast, Max von Sydow. Uh, there's a lot of, like character actors in it like a lot of that guy yeah (laughs) you know oh yeah a ton of that guy basically tells the story of uh the devil uh coming to a town and selling stuff to be called leland please sir yeah well he's the devil uh oh i'm aware selling selling stuff that people really want and getting them to play pranks on their neighbors which culminates one night in the entire town erupting into an orgy of violence uh and murder as towns do from time to time. As towns do from time to time. Yeah, it was good times. It was good times. In the words of Ed Harris, call the state police. We got a riot. <laughs> this is a weird movie, man. It is a weird movie. <laughs> I got to say. I can't say, figure out if it was bad or good or both. Like, it feels like both. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a good time watching it. Like, I did I was too. Watching up, I, I did too. It was a distinctly, distinctly uh, enjoyable watch, which is not to say that it was great. No, <laughs> no, but it was enjoyable. I mean, it's not it's not, it was not the hot mess express uh, that the bottom of our rankings uh, currently is. No, not at all. Not at all. I uh, I was. Yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised. There's something kind of because uh, Mr. Gaunt gets you to play pranks to pay for the item that you want. There is something kind of like. Like the pranks are very mean spirited, you know, it's like throwing apples through windows and throwing goose poop onto sheets and stuff. But there's this I think everybody somewhere in their core has just some sort of sick bastard in them that kind of enjoys watching that to an extent. You know, I don't know. Am I wrong? No, <laughs> Am I, just I don't think you're wrong. Person? I mean, like the, the the core of the film is is decidedly interesting. I mean, like the the idea and, and I'm not talking about necessarily the film. I'm also talking about the book. But like the idea of of there there is a distinct send up of consumerism, which is very interesting given the time frame that this book came out. It was after the 80s, and there was some some consumer consumerism backlash, which was interesting. And then also, this was the first book that um, Stephen King wrote after he got clean off of drugs and alcohol. And I think it shows because this is also distinctly a tale of of shaking off one's own personal demons, which which I thought was an interesting allegory in the book. Unfortunately, not in the movie. How how awesome would this have been Uh, in the book has an appearance by Ace uh, Merrill, who we remember from Stand By Me as Kiefer Sutherland's character. He is a character in the novel version of this. He goes to work for Mr. Gaunt as, like, his assistant. Well, and then the main character is uh, from uh, 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 the dark half. Yes, yeah, the sheriff. Yeah, which this was not in the film version. In the film version, it's distinctly not the same character. let's Let's start with the good. I would just like to say Max von Snydo... What an actor. He chews up every scene he's in. He's delightful because he plays it with this um, aloof, quirky humor. 
And oh yeah, he just Mr. Gaunt has great lines. Oh my great God. So good. So good. When he's talking to Buster, when Buster's planting bombs in the graveyard, oh and he goes, You you disgust me. I like that in a person. Yeah. <laughs> or, or when when the when the sheriff gets shot at the end and he goes, Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's just such a game to him. And, and like, it's just, it's hysterical. It's, what was it at the end? Oh, this is not my best work. Oh, uh, I, I, yeah, no, this is like the quote that sums up my entire feelings of the movie. This is not my best work, not by a long shot. Oh, sure, a few murders and a couple of rather lovely explosions. I would hardly call it a rousing success, but what the hell? <laughs> I mean, like that—that that sums up my my entire feeling of this movie. No, that's, like, it's, that's not wrong. That's not wrong. <laughs> you know what? Like, I, I mean, honestly, the casting. This is one of those films where the casting saves the film. Because Ed, Ed Harris, like you know, Ed Harris he, he is, he, is is Ed Harris feels like he's thinks that he's in an Oscar worthy piece and he's he's giving his best. Like that dude is a hard worker, you could just tell. Like he gets on set and he just he's gonna turn in his best performance at all times, even if it is in a completely different league than the rest of the film. Yes. Yes. So between Ed Harris and Max von Snydo, uh, they 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 absolutely make this one of the more watchable films on our list. And, 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 you know, special shout out to, uh, what was the name of the guy? The guy that plays the, uh, Buster, Buster, Buster. JT Walsh. Yeah. J- Walsh. Yeah. JT J- Walsh. J- special shout out to JT Walsh. He was so over the top, but never too much. It was like the perfect, the perfect amount of, of over the top anger. So it was written by W.D. Richter. Do you know that name? Because I'm about to I'm about to throw some knowledge down on you that I think you're going to enjoy. Because I'm tying it right I, back to you, buddy. All right, go go. He also wrote Dracula, the '79 Frank Langella uh, one. Ah, oh, nice. He nice. also wrote the original 1973 Slither. Mm. With uh, not, not with as... James Kahn as an ex-convict, and uh, they're trying to, to to find a stash of stolen money. He's also the director of the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. <laughs> so, like, when you see his body of work, you kind of realize the dude knows how to do serious, and he also knows how to do wacky, because he's also the writer of Big Trouble in Little China. It kind of works. Fun fact, the last movie he wrote, brace yourself, Stealth. Oh yeah, that stinker. 2005's Stealth. Hey, if a movie about a uh, AI flying airplane going rogue is wrong, I don't want to be right. Hey, uh, fun fact, Stealth is getting eerily prescient. Um, if you've been watching news coming out of the Navy, because the Navy now has drones that land themselves on aircraft carriers, and they they don't need no man. They're just out there doing their own thing. So yeah, Stealth, oddly prescient. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, from the mind of W.D. Richter. There you go. Where are we going to put this on the list? Because I, I, I hate to I've say been, it. I've, I, been, I've been struggling with this because part of me wants to acknowledge the fact that it's not great. But part yeah. of me also <laughs> wants to acknowledge the fact that I had a damn good time watching it. Also, um, special special props to the one sheet because that one sheet is so effective. I'm thinking he also, thinking by the ha- way, he also wrote the 78 Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the movie that haunts me to this day 
the movie that 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 one scene with friggin' um, Donald Sutherland at the very end when he points at the camera and then starts screaming, you realize that all hope is lost. That movie has stayed with me for 40 freaking years and I can't shake it. That's all. He wrote that I, I, too. I, I, I gotta say, I, I think it's somewhere around Silver Bullet. Like, it, you know, oddly enough, I feel like it sits just between Silver Bullet and the dark half. I might even say it sits between Silver Bullet and the dead zone. Oh. Yeah. Cause, cause part of, part of me wants to put it next to the dark half because the main character is the same. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? I enjoyed it for the same reasons that I enjoyed Silver Bullet, but it wasn't just one Gary Busey. Instead, you get like three or four yeah. different actors doing a Gary Busey. So I say it's above Silver Bullet. I think I agree with you 100%. I think it's above Silver, Silver Bullet and below the dead zone. I think we've overrated the dead zone personally, but I, I will not score it above Pet Cemetery because no. Pet Cemetery, its two standout performances are not like over the top. They're just really nuanced and creepy and really good where this film is just so, so extra. So, so extra. Yeah, and, but, and but an it's enjoyable extra way. for a purpose. Right, right, right. But it's, it's not that any of these performances are, are really all that, that breakout stellar, like, like pet cemeteries were, but they are just stupid fun. It is a stupidly fun movie, you know, like, watching, watching I, I two priests try much, to kill each other. I had a much better time than I ever thought I was going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, I, and honestly, I, the tone of the movie, because this is one that I missed in the theaters. Like, I never had a chance to see Needful. Oh, really? This was new to you completely? Completely new to me. And so oh, I wow. was expecting it to be a much heavier film. And I was pleasantly surprised by how absolutely aloof it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what makes me feel good? Um, I remember really liking this movie as a kid. I rented it more than once. Uh, just because I I found it enjoyable and I I would have watched this movie more than once renting it too like I I agree with you I I would have done the same thing because it was pleasant to watch it was fun it was a fun movie but but you know when you're like uh, uh, 93 I would have been in my early early teens you know when you watch something you really liked in your early teens and you watch it now and you're like oh oh Robert what were you doing back then man uh, no but this one was like yeah okay. And and what I liked about it as an adult now watching it too, like the anti-consumerism message in it, and some of the the dare I say nuance in the film, uh, actually, actually like kind of held on of nuance. It, it don't yeah. dare to say it; it's there. It's not. Yeah, it, it's very intentionally there. Like there 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 is a message. There's an overarching morality tale, frankly. You know, there, I, you could remake this in the modern day because there's something about people acting stupid on the internet. You know? Oh my god, pranks, you totally could. Yeah, and the pranks that Leland gets you to pull, like like somehow working in social media and like TikToks of throwing. Oh my god! If only Max von Snydo hadn't passed, like Needful Things to the social media, like that that would have that would be an amazing movie. Yeah, there's something there, but I'm I'm not in Hollywood, so I'll throw that one out into the ether for free. Invite me to the premiere. All right, so 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 Needful Things to give you an update, we we agree on where it sits, which means it's, it's currently sitting in seventh place out of 15 slots dead center in the middle uh just above silver bullet just underneath the dead zone it has made the top 10 my friend it's not a good movie like it's it's enjoyably bad but that's the thing it's it it, a, it never got boring it was no, it, it was, was interesting never the boring. Whole, 
It was, it yeah. was actually so surprisingly engaging. It engaged me so much more than I anticipated it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's bad, but it's a fun bad. And I, I was entertained and stuff blew up and people said crazy stuff. It was the longest <laughs> explosion ever. It's like a 40 second explosion. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I get yeah, pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah, this movie was so much more fun than I ever, ever, ever thought it was going to be. Well, there you go. So, so, so the next one up on the list, though, I mean, this is this feels like it's going to be cracking the top three. This this feels like a podium finish. Yeah, yeah. Next up is 1994's The Shawshank Redemption. Oh man, that's 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 going to be a tough one. To uh, I mean, Misery was phenomenal, but I remember Shawshank quite fr- fondly. And and being a big Frank Darabont fan because of Shawshank, I can tell you, like that guy can put it together a heck of a story. You know what's interesting? I like looking at the list overall. Like we are in like the golden age of Stephen King films, like uh, post Pet Cemetery. Because like Pet Cemetery, Misery, Needful Things, Shawshank, that's all in this stretch. And then it probably ends with the Green Mile somewhere in there because, yeah, we're not we're not getting these quality films anymore, I guess. But I don't know. I, I this this middle 90s section has late 80s, early 90s has been surprisingly good. <laughs> surprisingly good. Yeah, I haven't hated it. Um... Well, the lawnmower man, notwithstanding. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't hate the lawnmower man. Robert, I didn't hate it. I enjoyed hating it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I'm just looking at the list here. Like, uh, I feel like I, Dolores Claiborne, I feel like I have good memories of that. But Thinner, I remember being very problematic. Yeah, yeah, agreed. The Shining TV miniseries, I don't think I ever saw that. So I'm very curious about that. Apt Pupil, I remember being startled by the quality of that movie. Now, I don't know how it's aged, but I can tell you it's got... Oh, for God's sakes, why can't I think of his name? Magneto. Magneto, yeah. Um, Yeah. God damn it, what? (laughs) God damn it, I can't... Now I can't get Magneto out of my head. Ian McKellen, for God's sakes. You said Magneto and that just lodged in my head. Just always Magneto. Now you listen here, Magneto. Apt Pupil has Ian McKellen in it, and I remember that being a heck of a performance. So I'm very excited about that too. Yeah, like I said, we're we're like in this golden age, and it's gonna end at some point. I feel like Thinner is where it's gonna hit a hit a wall. But then Apt well, Pupil yeah, pulls it out, Green Mile pulls it out. I can't remember Hearts in Atlantis. That's the one with Anthony Hopkins. Okay, so maybe that has some hope too. But then we hit Dreamcatcher. Wow! Oh, Dreamcatcher is the first true contender for the bottom of the pile. Uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to recuse myself from that one. That one. Oh, tied up with, I'm excited with, about how bad that movie was. I, I, I've got complicated emotions tied up with that one, so I don't think I can. I can rate it fairly. Just, just you have to look at the the movie. You have to look at the movie. Nah, man, it's it's all tied up with with you know, uh, uh, breaking up with my first girlfriend, yeah, and a, and a friend who really helped me out who died recently. It's just there's too much, man. There's too much there. <laughs> there's too much to unpack. I'm not gonna be able to view that one objectively. 
Because I know how, I know how bad that movie is, Jonathan. I watched it recently because my my buddy died, and I I I you know I still got the feels for that movie because of it. And it was like this movie's terrible. This movie's terrible, and I'm sad. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of excited about how bad it's going to be. Well, you should be. It's terrible. Anyway, Shawshank Redemption's up next. Arguably, I, I yeah, it'll get in the top three. It'll be interesting where it lands. I mean, I I we've all seen that movie. It's like on all the time. So. I mean, I don't even know why we got to watch it again. <laughs> well, I haven't seen it in a few hey, years. Hey, so it's for the podcast. There you go. All right, moving along. All right, well, it's time for us to move along into our year in the life segment. That is, of course, where we look back at what we were doing a year ago and we talk about it again. And my God, I think this might be my favorite title ever. Bless their use of the F word. Yes, Forgot My Dice episode 107. Uh, we reviewed the Delta Green RPG. Because we were playing Impossible Landscapes at the time. Oh, God, I can't believe it's been a year since that, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who was it that was using the F word all wrong? What? We talked about it, and that, that it was something that we watched where they were just cursing for the sake of cursing, and it didn't feel right. Uh, I don't know. Um, Let's see, what do we got here? What do we got? Attack of Shadows, Captain America, Winter Soldiers, Sea Skylines, DCS World, Delta Green, Impossible Landscapes, Forbidden World, Hadrian's Wall. Imperator, Jurassic World Evolution, Kong Skull Island, Love, Death, and Robots, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat 11, Mutant, A New Tales of Yellowstone, No Time to Bond, Pitch Meeting, Refit Adventure, Sasquatch, Spy. Oh, was it Spy? With What's-Her-Face? Uh, might have been, yeah. I'll have to listen to that episode again. I don't remember the reference, to be honest with you. Oh, that's right. It does. It has like 100 Fs in it. Yeah. Oh, it must have been. Yeah, it must have been Jason Statham because he he or somebody was. Yeah, somebody was. Yeah, people are just dropping the f bomb right left and right in that. Yeah, that's it. We had to watch Spy because we watched a parody for No Time to Bond. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there you go. There you go. All right. Well, I can't believe that was a year ago. What was the yeah Delta Green? So that that was good stuff. We had a lot of fun with that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Hate to say it though, Night's Black Agents is a better game. No, uh, much better. So, so, so to go back on my review of that and, and having read some more stuff, the thing that makes Knights Black Agents better is that it's adventures and, and the game you play with it. The system ties much more into it in a better way, whereas they've released a ton of little adventures for Delta Green and absolutely none of them lead into, lean into that whole thing you're supposed to do at the end of the sessions where you, uh, you have your little home bit and your relationships with your loved ones and stuff break down. Yeah, we never to, leaned into that. I, I had this whole complicated backstory for that character and, and, and this, you know, hidden daughter that was the, the, the you know, product of his love with a mer person. And, like, I never got to tap into that. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, um, it's the thing everybody who writes stuff for that misses. Like, they just forget about that part. Like, it, it's part of the system, but they're just making Call of Cthulhu adventures, basically. And they don't. They don't ever lean into their own rule set. And uh, yeah, I still like Delta Green. It's a fun game. It's no, it's a very world. fun game, but you're right. This one's better. Well, also, Delta Green's a little bit more grounded, whereas Knife's Black Agents is Super Spies, which, you know, being a Super Spy is a lot more fun. A movie spy, a Bond. So, I don't know. Anyway, I guess no, we haven't played that in a year because Impossible Landscapes ended and we dropped that like it was made out of, uh, I don't know, something unpleasant. Yeah, but we, I got nothing. We 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 got sucked into a new story, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've been reading all the Dracula since then. So, anyway, 
Speaking of which, um, when when we finish this up, I'd, I'd like to do a one shot of that uh, Tombs game that I got. It's looking like I might have uh, passion or pass, Passion de las Passiones by then too. So. <gasps> oh, why, yeah. Why don't we yeah. do like a couple of one shots just to, to explore some new systems? Yeah, Ray, Ray was talking about wanting to do root on top of that too. So yeah, I'm I'm done with that. Oh and we bought gosh. that. If we do Passion de las Passiones. I will do the whole thing in an accent. Nice. Yeah. Well, and also we bought that uh that that bundle for trans youth. So we got a lot of weird. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of good too. stuff in there. I, I, I was actually reading through that the other day. Yeah. God, that list goes on and on. It just goes on forever. Yeah. Anyway, close this out, Jonathan. We, we, we. Which brings us, of course, to this episode's Fuck You, Greg Abbott. You thought I was going to forget, didn't you? You made it almost to the end of the, the second segment without it. But I'm here, Robert. I'm here to remind you. And Greg Abbott can go f*** himself. That's all. I wonder when I'll start cutting these out. No, again. you should never. F*** you, Greg Abbott. Well, I, I was at first because you would just say that randomly and it had no context. But now we've given people the context, so I guess it, it works. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our segment, which means it's time for a short break. And when we return for the break, uh, I've been looking forward to this for apparently almost a year and a half, two years. Uh, we're going to finally deep dive into the physical edition of foundations of rome we're going to look at the rules see how they've evolved since the the uh, digital release during the kickstarter and we're going to see if the physical version holds up and if the ridiculousness of this physical version adds anything to the game and we'll do that right when we return for the break so we'll see you in just a moment Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And today we're going back to Rome. The city building board game Foundations of Rome puts you into the role of an architect competing to own land and build magnificent structures. Build Domnus and Insule, fountains, foundries, and more to increase your renown, gaining glory for yourself and the empire. With 96 wonderfully detailed miniatures of the base game, Foundations of Rome is a testament to the glory of Rome that you can bring to the table. Each player will have their own pool of buildings, which they will play throughout the game, on the city board. By the end of the game, the board will be filled with a unique layout for your city. No two games are alike. Turns are simple, fast, and easy to follow. However, this is no light game. Foundations of Rome is deceptively deep, with difficult strategic choices that will have your family coming back for more. Again and again, Jonathan. So what? What should we do? We we've reviewed this game before. So like we have reviewed go- this game before, but I think you know, almost two years gives us the the latitude to do a quick explanation again of how it works. And that said, I mean, it's not tough to explain. It's very straightforward. True. 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 All right, so let's talk about Foundations of Rome. Let's talk about how you play. Um, the majority of the game is a giant board that sits out in the middle of the the um, play area, and that has uh, a selection of letter and number grids. Think of a, what would that be, like a bingo grid, right? Yeah, yeah, like, you know, A1, B1, C1, Exactly, exactly. 
And that grid represents the available land that you will be building in within Rome. And it's all undeveloped land. And that really is the, the crux of the game. You want to purchase empty lots. Then you want to develop those lots into different types of buildings. And those buildings will have different actions that allow you to score victory points. And then you want to maximize your victory points with how you place your buildings. So it's a little bit Tetris, a little bit economy, a little bit uh, management, because there's three different types of buildings. There are residential buildings, which build your population, and population is equal to a lot of victory points in this game. There are civic buildings, and civic buildings, if you think of Seven Wonders, how you have the um, the cards near the end of the game that allow you to um, profit off the things around you in terms of victory points, these work the same way. Uh, they are buildings that allow you to uh, look at the surrounding buildings and score points off of them based on what those surrounding buildings are utilized for. Uh, and then finally, there are commercial buildings, and commercial buildings are utilized to uh, increase the amount of profit that you get when you take one of the actions, and also give you basic uh, victory points for, for certain of uh, the uh, commercial buildings. Now, buildings are interesting. They come in a couple of different shapes, um, and they can take one, two, three, four, even up to five spaces, which means that when you are buying those empty lots, it behooves you to buy lots that are close to one another because you are trying to create enough land grouped together to be able to build some of these larger buildings because the larger buildings get you more victory points. That all makes sense, right? Yes, sir. So you only have three actions in the game. You have the ability to take income, which lets you take five Roman dollars. I don't know what Roman dollars were. Five Roman dollars plus the amount of money that you are building or you are earning off of your commercial buildings. Next, you can buy a deed if you happen to have enough money. And the deeds sit on a board of six spaces, ranging in cost from two to ten Roman dollars. And these deeds act like a conveyor belt, meaning that you have uh, uh, different prices for each slot and it gets progressively more expensive. Cards are introduced in the most expensive slot on the far right And as you purchase lots, they all slide down to the left, getting progressively cheaper, giving you a really nice, do I buy now for eight or do I wait a couple of turns and hope that people don't buy it so that it's only four gold to purchase. And then finally, the last action is constructing a building. And constructing a building does not have a cost associated with it. You only need money to buy the land. You don't need money to buy the buildings. And the buildings have some rules around them where you can... You can build a building, put it out, and then if you buy lots around it and want to build a larger building, you can actually replace your old building, returning it to your supply so that you can reuse it again in the future, and then you build the larger building. And you can do this several times over the course of the game. And that is all there is to the actions, but there is so much depth within that. And the game is right in its description in that no two games are ever alike because the city is going to completely build out in a different order based on who's playing, what they're trying to accomplish as an individual, and what lots are coming up in the random draw um, because you're going to be shuffling that lot deck every time. So the lots available are going to come up at a different order. And that's part of what makes this game fabulous. I've played this game at this point probably a hundred times between digital and physical, and I've got to tell you, it's never not fun. I'm having a good time with it. 
Yeah, I remember. I remember really liking it when we played the uh, digital version. I think we played it more than once because I. Yeah, I we did. We played it a couple times. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, fitting pieces like Tetris and building stuff—that's that's one of my jams. So. Yeah, and 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 this this hits on all elements now. There are a couple of little changes that have been made to the rule sets to kind of clarify a few things and answer a few questions. And most importantly, there's been um, a rule change, I believe, because I don't remember it being this way in the digital version, at least not initially, um, in the way you score your population. So population is scored. um, Most of the victory points are pretty straightforward. Uh, oftentimes when you purchase a building, you'll put it out on the field and you will see that there is a victory point associated with um, with that building when it gets put out. And that's clearly labeled on the uh, on the player board. It should also be said that you don't just score points all the time. The game is divided into three eras. And when you um, when you're setting the game up, you actually divide the number of cards for the lots into uh, three equal piles so that you can um, divide the game into three relatively equal acts based on the number of, of things in the game. Um, you only score at the end of an era, and an era only ends when all of the lots for that era have been purchased. So some eras will last a long time as people will hold off on buying the last lot for a while in, in, in a, an attempt to try and set up maximum points for uh, the end of an era. Sometimes eras will be over very quickly as somebody sees an opportunity to make the other players lose out on points by ending the era before they can build their buildings. At the end of an era, when you do all the point scoring, most of it is very straightforward. It's just based on the points that are there. Um, commercial buildings will um, give you points right on the player board, letting you know what they're worth if they if they have any points associated with it at all. Civic buildings will have a nice, clear label on them, letting you know exactly how to score them. And the only time to score them is in that end of the era. And then residential stuff is a little more complicated because you are constantly moving a cube, letting you know where you sit on the population tracker. And at the end of an era, you look at all the players that have population out on the board and you score the number of points equal to the population count of the next player up on the board. So for instance, if you had 10 points of population, I had 12 points of population and say Dale had 15 points of population, if you were behind me, you would score my population number as the number of points. I would score Dale's, and Dale would score his plus a bonus at the end of an era for having the most population. All make sense? Yeah, I remember this. I remember this. So that was a a, a bit of a a rule change, as, as I recall. Because it didn't used to be that you you got the points of the next person up on the board. It used to be whatever you had. Is, is my recollection. And if I'm wrong, please let us know, because uh, I don't like to be wrong. I, I, I will own my mistake. So that is the, um, the chief change. The other thing that this comes with uh, that uh, was not available in the digital version are several additional game modes and even an expansion, the Monuments expansion. The Monuments are a limited pool of shared buildings and they're very difficult to construct. Any player can build these these buildings, um, just like a building from their personal supply, but each of these monuments is unique, and once it's constructed, nobody else can build it. It's only available to the person that bought it. 
They're very, very powerful, but very, very difficult to build. And most of them have very specific triggers that need to be constructed before they can come into play. But they're worth chasing because they also generate a lot of points. And those were not available in the digital version. Uh, additionally, there are a couple of different things that have been added to the game. Um, some of them were Kickstarter stretch goals and others are just additional game modes that were still being stretched out. You have will of the console, and this is where you work cooperatively to outsmart a common foe. And that actually comes with a, uh, set of, um, punch board chits that let you, um, basically mimic an enemy player, and then you are working together with other people to beat the CPU, so to, uh, so to speak. There's trading and stealing, where you get to negotiate or intimidate to gain larger territories, and there's special tokens that come along with that um, that let you do trading and favors. Um, there's player roles, and the player roles are really interesting. They are um, basically give you a unique asymmetrical special effect based on who you are. There are objectives and objectives add another layer of gameplay in that you have to meet the requirements to earn bonus victory points. And then there are invocations where you can actually spend some of your money to acquire very powerful game breaking abilities, stuff that is far beyond the normal rule set. None of those were available in the digital version. These have all been incorporated in and um, they give you huge flexibility into how you play the game. And that's particularly interesting because I still haven't, even after over 100 matches, gotten tired of the base game. And that says a lot. So now I am sitting on like all these different ways of playing it, which is really, really cool. All right. So normally at this point we would talk about the rule book, but I, we've already talked about the rule book. I, I don't remember the rules themselves like, cause they had a virtual rule book and I, I flipped through the PDF one. It was, it, it was, it was pretty decent. Like it is decent. It is decent. The game itself is not difficult to explain. It's one of those, you know, simple to play, difficult to master games. Yes, absolutely. The, the rule book is fine. And actually one of the things that the rule book does really, really nicely that I really like is that it's got lots of pictures of the, the actual components which helps, especially when you are new to the game and trying to learn the iconography and methodology of the game. Um, it's it's a huge, huge win. Also, because the Kickstarter version, at least, comes in this ginormous box, um, it also gives you storage guides, which I really appreciate. So you're not playing this guessing game of how do I put this uh, away. You have a very clear representation right in the rule book that says, hey, by the way, this is how this tray gets packed. Since you mentioned the box, and the box is massive. It's like a cube. It's like a giant, giant cube. <laughs> yeah, it is gigantic. How, how are how are the components in real life, Jonathan? They're, they're gorgeous. They're, they're mind-blowingly pretty. The buildings are much larger than I ever anticipated them to be. They are nice and chunky and easy to grab and so finely detailed. This is some beautiful fine detail on the buildings. What what are the the buildings made out of? Are they vacuum from plastic or no no no? They're solid. They're solid minis. Oh, they're solid plastic nice. minis. Now some of them with with a little more detail, especially with the monuments where you're getting statues on top of coliseums and stuff like that. Those are actually constructed of multiple smaller minis that are glued together. But the majority of the buildings are just single mold cast buildings, just solid hunks of plastic they feel great in the hand and more importantly and i sent you some pictures yesterday 
They look beautiful built out on the table. Your city comes to life in 3D directly in front of you, and it's so engaging and beautiful to play. Uh, how much of the additional swag did you get? I, I vaguely remember there being like a mat and stuff. Oh, I went all in except for the mat. Okay. Like I'm, I'm okay. Perfect example. I got the mat for the Marvel United games and I love mm-hmm. it because it's got something that the regular game did not have, which is places for everything to go, including the storyline that goes around the, the, the board, right? There's spaces for cards and some gentle reminders of, of, you know, kind of the, the turn order. This would not benefit in any way, shape, or form. And the the physical manifestation of the boards is wonderful. You've got one side of the board that is for up to three players. And the number of players is important because since this is a land purchasing and land building game, every time you add a player, you're adding more land to help balance it out, right? Otherwise, right. it would, would get too much. So on one side of the board, you have one, two, and three players. On the other side of the board, you have four and five players. And that's that's the extent of, of the, the differences between the two boards. Uh, additionally, there's uh, a board for the uh, market of deeds. And then there is one additional board that gives you um, scoring. And the great thing is that all those boards are dual layer so the scoring boards, there's a nice big divot for your cube to go into. And what's really nice is that the player um, the player trays, because each player gets their own tray of minis, and that's how you also pack the game up. And as big as this box is, it's actually very size conscious in that everything is packed nice and tight so that they don't have a lot of extra room in there. And the bottom of that player or, um, that player tray has a... a dual layer cut out on it, letting you know exactly how to put the buildings back in, which is really nice. And the bottom of the tray has a bunch of printing on it, letting you know exactly what you've put out so that you don't have to awkwardly look at the board and total stuff up in your head based on what you have out on the board. You can just look at your player tray and very clearly see what buildings you have out and calculate things out like your income um, or the number of points you're supposed to get at the end of an era and things like that. It's very clever. This is an over-the-top production, but there's not a single aspect of the over-the-top production that doesn't add to the game to make it a better, smoother experience. This is just expertly, expertly executed uh, experience for for a player. We're not going to do our normal thing because we talked about the execution and the player count and all that in our last review, and I want to go over that again. This is the uh, this is what I, I'm interested in, Jonathan. We, we've played this a lot digitally. What What is the difference having the physical box in front of you, like doing it, you know, live, so to speak? One of the things that we have discussed before when looking at the digital version versus the physical version is that sense of connection you get with the physical version, right? Because you physically pick something up. There's that, that kinesthetic action that that helps to engage you. It's, it's more than just a mental engagement. It's a physical engagement as well, right? Right. This game capitalizes on that with a visual element because not only are you physically moving stuff around and these pieces feel so good in the hand because they're so solid and dense and they just feel perfect. When you start to see the city grow and every time you play that the growth is different, 
And especially at the end game where the city is almost 100% built out, especially when you play with the monuments, it's just, you are just so there. You're, you're, you're there. Everything is beautiful. Everything is, is, is just so lovely to touch and move around and look at. I mean, it's just the physical manifestation takes an already amazing, wonderful game and just makes it an absolute pleasure to interact with. I don't know how else to put it. Am I making sense or these are the ramblings of a madman? It's your podcast, bro. It's probably both. Yeah, that's fair. And what's really especially great is that every every single aspect of the game is really, really well thought out. And every physical element has a purpose for being there. It's not just about beauty. It's also adding to the game. Whether it is a reminder of how a building scores that's printed and, and placed directly on the building and, and looks beautiful and lovely, or the the dual layer player boards helping to keep everything nice and tidy, um, or the the shortcuts of the points on the bottom of the player board so that you don't have to awkwardly look out on the on the playing field to, to calculate things out. I mean, just every aspect of the game is just so well thought out, and the execution is just on another level. One of the things I remember when we decided that we were going to cover this again when it actually physically came out is like the role to play. Um, because I, I believe at the time we thought that a lot more board game companies were going to do this track where they would make a tabletop simulator or whatever version of it that they could release uh, during the Kickstarter so people could play the game. Um, I don't really think we've necessarily seen that. Like, I, mean, I haven't I've seen, seen a, a ton of that. There's been a couple, but but I mean, I, I would have expected this to become the norm. I'm, I'm actually disappointed that it hasn't. So let me ask you a question since you've actually had this game now and have physically played it. What was your experience? Because you, you played the devil out of it back when you got it. So did it take anything away from the, the experience of having the, the real game in front of you or was the difference Not at in all. time? It, it enhanced it. It absolutely enhanced it because when I sat down with the physical version, my um, my proficiency ramp with the game had already occurred. I was able to sit down and start interacting with it right away. And it also freed me up to marvel at the beauty of the physical representation rather than getting lost in trying to learn this new game. Hey, Jonathan. Yeah. The word you were looking for was learning curve. Yeah. Learning curve was probably the better choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't, don't blame your COVID brain, sir. It's, it's pr- probably has a lot more to do with soccer and just general exhaustion. Oh, general sorry. exhaustion. What is the difference of, of playing the game physically with your family being able to do that now? Is it like, is there something lost on the tabletop version or, or the tabletop simulator version playing it over time and space or like? The, the thing about the tabletop simulator version that they, they did really well is that they gave you 3D modeled pieces for everything. That helps to kind of capture some of the feeling of the game. What the physical version gives you is that table presence that a video game cannot give you no matter no matter how good the implementation is. And the implementation of this in Tabletop Simulator is is expert. It's one of the best implementations I've ever seen, actually. Um, That said, there is something absolutely connective. Is that even a word? Yeah, connective tissue. There's something connective about the, the 
physicality of reaching out, grabbing a building, placing it down on the board, feeling a cube slip into a dual layer player board, things like that. I mean, it just it feels so good to move this stuff around. And there's you know what? You know what? I got I got it. I got what you're trying to say. I'm trying because you're tired. COVID brain. Uh, It's satisfying. It is. It is absolutely satisfying. And I was just going to use that word for for what the, the sensation you get when you get to the end of the game win or lose you look down you've built a city it's in front of you you can see it it's three dimension there's height variation it, it's popping off the table it looks beautiful it's something to be proud of and and i think it, it it's important to also say by the way i've played this with my nine-year-old my 15-year-old i've played this with adults i've played this um you know with with some of my kids and i i can tell you I have yet to meet a person that didn't just enjoy their experience with this game. Everybody enjoys it. And the fact that a nine-year-old can sit down and and be very, very uh, effective in the game, it says something about the simplicity of the design, but the fact that the adults are just as engaged and... I mean, just the fact that I've played this game as much as I have and I can't I, and I haven't stopped and I haven't gotten tired of it really speaks to the depth available and the fact that they now give you so many variations i mean there's even optional rules for like deed drafting and stuff like that just to give you variation if you need it and then the 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 addition of the monuments expansion and then the addition of all those multiple game modes that we were talking about like trading and stealing and stuff i mean it just adds so much more to the game and the best part is robert it's all in a single package it's not nickel and dime. It's all there. It's all in the box. And it makes so much of a difference. Final question, Jonathan. I can't remember. Did you get your version with the wash or did you not do that? I did not do the wash. So when are you going to hit your pieces up with some Newland oil, friend? Reasonably quickly. Because Newland oil is freaking magic. Yeah. It'll make those pieces pop. Uh, and they already pop so much. They're so pretty. They're so, so pretty. About, they'll be prettier, sir. They'll be prettier. I mean, just I'll, I'll send you. I'll, I, we're I'm, we're planning on playing again this this coming weekend because um, the kids are actually really into the game, and uh, I'll send you some some close up macro pictures of the monuments. But like, it's just such a pretty game. It looks so beautiful. All right. Well, that is, sir. Foundations of Rome by Arcane Wonders. Uh, I don't see it for sale anywhere except the website. You can buy the base game for $140, or if you get all the bells and whistles, including the uh, the wash, that pumps it up to 270 Yeah, but you know what? It, it's, it's important to say, this is a huge game. Like, if you think of a Calyx shelf from Ikea, you know, the cube shelves? Yeah. It's basically, the box goes directly into one of those cubes. Oh, yeah, you could wear the box like a helmet. Like, it's it's giant. I know it's an expensive game. But it's not just for show. Like it adds to the ambiance of the game. It really is the 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 table presence is is part of the experience of building the city. Like, would it work with 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 chits instead of uh, physical pieces? Yes. Would you feel as connected to the final product and proud of what you did? I don't know that you would. This helps the game transcend beyond mechanics into 
realistically, it's it's almost an artistic expression. Like when you get to the end and you look down at the city, it's it's unique. It's something that you and your friends built. It, it, it's and it's gorgeous, and it'll never be that way again. I don't know. This is a special game. This is a special game because it's simple, it's easy to get into, and it's absolutely stunning and gorgeous, and the physicality just adds more to it. I cannot say enough good things about this game. Emerson has absolutely hit it out of the park, both in in design, and Arcane Wonder has executed on the promise of that design in a way that's going to make other games hard to topple, you know, like it, it's going to be hard to hit this level of fusion between design and execution. Also, it should be said that the art and the instruction book is stunning and gorgeous too. Like it just, everything is so well thought out. All right. I think that's it, Jonathan. Play us out. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive of foundations of Rome, the physical edition. Um, I love the game. Uh, go and get yourself a copy. It's really f- super fun. And if you want to try it online, hit us up. And I think that uh, we will both gladly sit down and play Tabletop Simulator with you on this. And that, of course, brings us to the end of episode 127 of the Forgot My Dives podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you. And Robert, that brings us to uh, any final thoughts? Nothing's coming to mind. Go like your kids or something. Try to stay positive or get some positivity and have a candy bar whatever you deserve it mental mental health raw absolutely well that means that there's only one last thing to say Robert and that is to and maybe this is some notes that the Texas State Legislature should take into account be excellent to one another and party on Robert party on Jonathan The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. Thank you.